CampWire is made possible with the generous support of our sponsors. With school well underway, it's time to start planning and preparing for holiday breaks. Camp and Class Manager from Active Network is the superior management software for camps hosted any time of the year. Make registration a breeze for participants to sign up anytime, anywhere with our mobile-friendly solution. Learn more at activenetwork.com forward slash ACA. With the rise of COVID-19 variants, keep your family safe this fall and winter with Pixel by LabCorp's COVID-19 PCR Test Collection Kit. The kits are available at $0 upfront costs to those who meet clinical guidelines and are sent directly to your home and back to the lab via FedEx. Learn more at pixel.labcorp.com. to CampWire. My name is John Beitner, and I'm the Professional Development Manager for ACA's Western Region. It is my pleasure to speak today with Colette Marquardt, the Executive Director for ACA Illinois. Colette joined ACA Illinois after directing day and overnight camps throughout the Midwest and after a long career of being a volunteer for ACA. Joining ACA Illinois has given her a chance to focus on making camps more accessible to all children. Her career and education have been rooted in making camps and other youth spaces more equitable and just for all. She is the recipient of several awards for Innovative Professional Development and Service and was the first recipient of the Dare to Lead Award from the Women in Camp Summit community. Colette joins us from Chicago. Hi, Colette. Thanks for, thanks for making time to talk today. Please tell us a little bit about yourself and your work with camps. Great. Well, thanks for having me, John. It's wonderful to be with you. Yeah, so I work for ACA Illinois, which gives me the opportunity to work with uh, hundreds of camps, uh, many different styles of camps, here in uh, in Illinois and the surrounding area, we have camps that serve folks in Illinois that are in the other Midwest states. And we work primarily at AC Illinois with a federal funding program that works with the Illinois Department of Human Services. So we do quite a bit with helping to make camp accessible and get more children that are living in poverty into camp. Excellent. Excellent. What would you say are the top priorities for ACA Illinois? Our top priority for AC Illinois is to uh, is twofold. The first is to, of course, we do work with our accreditation program and professional development, but our leading priority is around this idea of uh, economic and social justice. And we do that by helping to provide our federal funded program, our DFI Title 20 program, that we partner with the Illinois Department of Human Services to send children living in poverty to camp so they can gain the skills they need in order to break the cycle of poverty, go into the workforce and go on to leading fulfilling lives as members of community. That's excellent, that's excellent. Now, is that program unique to Illinois? So the, the Title 20 funding is part of the Community Services Block Grant that comes from the feds to all of the different states. Just every state determines how that money is spent differently. So Illinois is the only state in which it's at this level that we it's a, it's over a million dollar program that sends over 5,000 children to summer camps. So it's it's the only one at that level in the state there in the country. That's incredible. What a what an amazing commitment. So you've been doing other things that that I'm interested in and curious about. I'm very impressed with 
the Women in Camp Conference. Is it the Women in Camp Conference or the Women in Camp Summit? It's the Women in Camp Summit. That's intentional because it's, yes, a professional development event, like a conference, but it goes a step further in being a place where we can bring ideas and movement making to create substantial change for women in the camp profession. Excellent. Excellent. And every good superhero has got an origin story. What's what's the origin story? How did you get that started? It comes from my education as a gender women's studies and I have a lot of experience in social movements and the frustrations that I experienced being a woman in the workplace and then talking with other women in professional spaces as well, that, that we know that there is a pay gap. We know that women are often not heard or promoted and or asked for in camp. Women are often asked to do jobs that their male counterparts are not asked to do as part of their profession. And so the the final, you know, we had been dreaming of this. I had talked with some of our other co-pioneers to develop it for a couple of years, but I was in a meeting at a conference uh, where even though most of the people in the room were women, it was mostly only men talking and being heard. And there was a lot of talking over women. And I, I was really frustrated when I left because there were a lot of really smart women in that room that we should have been listening to, but weren't. And so it really started with the like, we need to do this. We need to help women in camp. And, and we just did it. Excellent. Excellent. Now you met a couple times in person, but then COVID forced you to go online with us. Is that correct? Yeah, exactly. We, we had two great successful in person. We had planned to do the in-person in 2020, but because of COVID, there is a strong, um, it's a, it's a strong partnership between Canadian camp professionals and uh, U.S. camp professionals. And so we actually decided to keep it virtual this year, knowing that there would still be challenges with crossing borders and whatnot during COVID. Excellent. Excellent. And if our listeners are just hearing about this for the first time, uh, when when are you planning to do your next virtual one? Um, in December of 2021. So, and you can find more out at ACAIL.org. Watch, yeah, watch for more promotion and, and mark your calendar. That's terrific. So that's it, really cool that you're working with camps in uh, in Canada. That's excellent cross-pollination. For those who don't know, and this is a bit granular perhaps, um, ACA has what a lot of people call ACA National. And then we've got these important uh, groups that we call our affiliates. So ACA Illinois is one of those. New York, New Jersey's one, New England's another one. And there are really important reasons why those entities have retained affiliate status versus becoming part of ACA Inc. or the ACA National. So just for context, that's that's for our listeners as well, that we get to work with our affiliate offices in interesting ways. So it's a separate 501c3. What else do you think distinguishes ACA Illinois from the other affiliates or maybe ACA National? That's a great question. Um, the main part of what distinguishes us is our funding program, that that is over 90% of what we do. It's our work, it's our mission, all of our decisions, you know, stem off of that mission. Um, and it's rooted in working with the Illinois Department of Human Services. So it's important that we are an Illinois nonprofit serving Illinois folks through this program. And if we, if we weren't an independent organization, 
we want to be able to keep providing these services that kids need. And, uh, you know, other things that kind of give us our uniqueness is we do focus on and have a long history on social justice movements and on diversity and inclusion and and really exploring what that looks like. We have a long history of great thought leaders and action leaders in those areas um, in ACA Illinois history, which is something I'm really proud to follow, you know, some really great movement makers like Marcia Bob Rauer and Gordy Kaplan and Eleanor Eels, you know, just folks who have kept the idea of, of using camp as a tool to really make the world a better place. That, that has always been at our, our core. And I've even heard you say that, um, you know, it's, it's sort of a goal of your team that you all put each other out of work. So tell me a little bit more about that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that is, that's the ultimate goal. So as I mentioned, you know, our, our work is really centered on this idea of serving children living in poverty. And, and what we see is, is that when the children go to camp, they can develop these important skills that they need, all of these, right, leadership skills, working with others, skills that they're going to use in their adult life, because we know at camp, we do really well. And the idea is that if we can help children gain those skills in their youth, then when they move into adulthood, they're able to go out into the workforce, break cycles of poverty, be able to uh, have jobs in which they can make livable wages, have access to education. And because that's our goal, our end goal is that we wouldn't need this program, that there would not be people living in poverty, especially children. And so while I am very realistic that that's not going to happen in my lifetime, it's still what we work towards on a daily basis is that this program shouldn't have to exist in this way because children shouldn't have to live in poverty, but they do. So we're providing a service. And that's, you know, that's the the definition of really being a charitable organization, which we are, is that we're providing this service needed by our local community and our society that isn't being met through either government support or the community in general or local municipalities. And so that's that's what we do is we're trying to provide this service. And, you know, I, I do hope that in we've been around for 50 years in this program, and I hope that we're not around for 50 years because that does mean that, yes, we can think it means 50 years of providing this great program, kids going to camp, kids will always go to camp and need to go to camp. But for our program, kids are going to camp through this program because they live in poverty. And that is not something that I hope is is a forever thing, right? Yeah. And are the camps leaning into that transformative power of camp to help break the cycle? Are you seeing programmatic pieces specifically built for that? So all of the camps that come in to be, we call partner agencies um, that we send the kids to, they have to be working towards four main outcomes, which have been established with the Illinois Department of Human Services and ourselves as they, that they've got to be working towards helping them get along with other people, with their peers, with other adults, acquiring positive values about themselves, of contributing to the community. And so all of the campers are there is an outcome study that every camper and every camp has to do around these kind of goals. 
and their program has to be centered around that. So all of them are doing different activities to really promote and encourage that because we know those are pivotal skills that are needed later on in life. Success as adults, yeah, absolutely. Success mm-hmm. in the workforce. Yeah. So you, you've been at it, well, the, the ACL Illinois has been at it for 50 years. Are we starting to see through those evaluations improvements in some of those outcomes? Yeah, we definitely see really great improvements in these outcomes. And we have um, heard of many clients who were in this program that have been able to break the cycle of poverty for their family. I know that there is one executive at an organization that works, their organization still works with us that was a Title 20, we call it the Title 20 camper. Uh, when they were a kid and, you know, now they're a successful executive in their organization and, you know, they're able to contribute to the community and, and they are paid a living wage, which is just a really cool thing to see that it does work um, and that it's really important that we keep working towards that. Excellent. Excellent. And are you, are you seeing participants become staff members at these camps too? Yeah. Um, Many of the camps, the participants end up being the staff members. Most of the camps in our program are primarily focused on serving this community and and kids that are economically disadvantaged. Um, Other, some of our camps serve all kids from all different economic classes. So um, there's definitely a variety of camps that we're working with, but these kids will become camp staff. Um, they do they do face additional obstacles to becoming camp staff because if the camp maybe they were going to isn't paying a wage, you know, minimum wage, maybe they're at an overnight camp and that isn't necessarily minimum wage on every hour, but teenager, the the college student needs to be making true minimum wage or more in the summer in order to be able to afford to go to college or pay their other bills. So there is, there is a really important distinction amongst if they want to work at camp versus can they continue to work at camp or is the camp able to pay the wages that they need in order to afford what they need to pay for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we, we really have to figure that out because it's so important to have role models that we feel an immediate affinity with, I think. And if we're boxing out, you know, people from that opportunity because their particular lifestyle doesn't mean that they need to work during the summer, then they can afford to work at somewhere that's paying them sub minimum wage wages. Um, yeah, that's a real shame. We need to we need to look at that. Well, you mentioned DEI before. So, in your words, what does the phrase diversity, equity, and inclusion in camp mean? What does it mean to you? To me, it's a space set of values, and that it's at the core of all of the things you do. If a camp is really committed to DEI work, it's not just a kind of a one committee or one-off task or project that needs to be addressed, but that it's part of the fabric of of the whole camp. And it means um, being bold and being brave about putting people first over everything else. I, I believe that when we think about diversity and inclusion, it's a people first value. We always put people before other things, things or traditions or operational policies or procedures that the people have to always come first and everything else follows along. And so that's kind of what to me it means is that we just, we continue to put the people first, whether that's campers, staff, 
community, family members, and what are their needs. And then we adjust everything else to meet those needs, even if it means that we're going to have to make some changes. I love that. I love that. And I love that people are using people first language when they're talking about the challenges that some people experience. So it's a person who's experiencing homelessness versus a homeless person, or it's, you know, a person with anxiety disorder instead of, you know, some other shorter phrase uh, for that. So um, yeah, really putting people first as the core to achieving diversity, equity, and inclusion. How would you say the camps in ACA Illinois are meeting that? Are we doing a better job with, with the, the sort of emergency level of social justice that's coming out, that's come out in the last couple of years? Um, are you seeing any trends? Are you seeing any shifts with them? I am seeing some trends um, where camps and organizations are becoming more swift in their changes. And that's really exciting to me that we can be really easy, especially in a nonprofit setting, organizational, to get get buried underneath committees and task force and and the politics of of DEI work, which to me is not it's not political. I mean, everything is political, but but it's not that's not where it should live because again, people are first. Yeah. Um, but I'm seeing that organizations are moving more towards like when they learn that they're doing something that is either unjust or not truly, you know, inclusive, that they're willing to make that change a little bit more swiftly than previous years, which that's how you that's how you make change. You make it, you know, little by little. Some of us, myself included, wish, you know, I wish that we could just like wake up tomorrow and everything would be great justice for all. Um, but that's that's not the reality. But if we can chip away at it, that's how we start to build it. And I think that's where ACA Illinois has had has had the most uh, success in in most in all of the work we do is that we just chip away at the things we want to keep working on. And when we learn about something, we we make that change and then we move on. Um, and we don't get buried into a lot of like, okay, well we have to we have to consider what everybody's thoughts are on this, but because if we know that somebody is being excluded or not being treated fairly, we're going to address that. We're not going to allow other people to to weigh in decisions that continue them to be treated unjustly or unfairly. We're going to just say everybody deserves to be treated fairly. Um, So it's, I just think that we're moving more quickly than we have ever moved before, which is pretty, pretty cool to watch. Um, And I just, I hope we continue on this trajectory. So, so when you think about equal treatment, how do you define equitable pay for camp staff? I would define it as, are they being paid fairly for the work that is expected of them? Not their age being the factor, not I worked for super cheap in the nineties when I worked at camp. So therefore young people today should be willing to work for very little pay, but that it's what is the work that they're doing and how can we pay them fairly for that labor? Um, because we do ask a lot of our camp staff, right? They're responsible for the care and well-being of our campers and of children um, or adults in many camps. Um, we're expecting them to work very long hours. We're expecting them to be both the caretaker and the programmer and the risk manager, right? We, we expect them to keep kids safe. That's a big job. 
And um, are we paying them fairly for that? I've seen parents get overwhelmed when they're looking after three or four children, <laughs> you know, and then these, these poor young camp staff are doing, you know, 12 and 15 children at a time. And like you said, playing lifeguard, not just at the pool, but everywhere. Um, when I was when I was working in camp, I wasn't afraid of the horseback riding area. I wasn't afraid of the ropes course because I knew the staff there, you know, really had their protocols down. The thing that I was afraid of was the picnic tables because the kids start a game of tag. And before you know, somebody's lost a tooth because they smashed right into the edge of it. But yeah, that's that's a lot to expect of someone is, you know, I need you to be a risk management specialist, a youth development specialist. I need you to find the treasure in each of these children and help it emerge you know, and here's 15 of them. Good luck. <laughs> you know Exactly. And then when you take that and, and then we take the, this is what I, I believe separates equity and equality is then, then we have to look at what is the fair wage that they need to meet their basic needs as camp staff. Yeah. And, you know, so that they can have their basic needs of food and shelter, um, you know, health care, access to, you know, health, mental health, you know, therapy, or they're being able to get their physical health taken care of, right? That all costs money, their tuition. And so you have to, we have to take what are we expecting of them, and then matching that also with what do they need to survive and thrive? And that's where you get that equitable kind of, you know, merging of what is equitable pay. Yeah, because we want the participants to thrive, but we want the staff to thrive as well. Um, I think, you know, when I was when I was directing, I felt like the staff was my group and they had their own group and those were children. And we, we want them to feel successful and thrive. Have we ever, have you ever surveyed um, staff to find out what their baseline income needs to be to meet their needs that we could then reference against uh, minimum wage. I think I haven't that done that, but that yeah. would be really interesting. And I, and I think really helpful, right? If we had as an industry and of course broken down regionally because, you know, living in Chicago costs very different than living in Southern Illinois. Um, but, but then if we had some really good numbers that would help our camp professionals and finance professionals and the executives, you know, all the people that are responsible for the budgets at these camps and organizations really tackle that. Like, okay, how do we get to that number? This is how much we need. How do we get to that? And that's where we're saying mission, you have to keep the mission in focus and then how do you get it? Instead of saying, this is how much money we have, how do we make it work? We say this is how much money we need. Yeah. How do we find it? Now it's very hard and it's very difficult. And it would be, um, I believe, pretty radically different and transformational, but it's also where we're at. Uh, when we talk about justice, when we talk about, you know, upcoming generations, the need for equitable and fair pay is is critical to the camp industry continuing for future generations. We have to address this. Yeah. And I, I don't think it's only a mission best practice. I think it's a business best practice if staff in, in many, many camps have talked about staffing challenges, especially this last summer. Yeah. But without staff, we don't have camps. And I, I think one of the critical things to improving, you know, getting and retaining staff members and, and the great staff members that camps want, those 
enthusiastic people that quote unquote get it and you know are really um, making the most of the program for youth development are to get those people, it's going to cost more. And like you said, we may need to work backwards from this is actually a fixed cost and the days of expecting a bunch of free labor because of the fun of camp uh, may be over. I, I think you're right. But it, it, it causes a lot of, like you said, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be a big change. And, and sometimes that kind of change is, is scary. What are, what are some examples of the things that will cause that hesitation for change? There's that huge piece of the pie that payroll is. So there's the, you know, can we can we gather the resources that we need to pay more equitably? What other things cause that hesitation? Definitely, of course, the, um, you know, how can we gather the resources? Also, another area of hesitation is um, essentially stepping outside of our own experiences. You know, this is where practicing empathy, practicing thinking not of that our camp staff's experience needs to mirror what our experiences were when maybe we were camp staff, yeah. that that it's just a, it's a different world than when I worked at camp. And so I hear uh, sometimes from the camp professionals, but, but we see this in other areas of the workforce and in business, right? That it's like, well, I worked for so little, uh, they should be able to, we have to get outside of that thinking because it's not productive and helpful, whether you agree with it or not, it's just not going to help solve the problem. And I think that's going to be one of our biggest roadblocks. The other thing to remember is that when camp staff are paid better, we then, everybody ends up being paid better, right? It's a ripple effect that has to be addressed as well, that you know, are camp professionals being paid equitably and fairly for the work that camp professionals are doing? We have to look at that. We have to look at what the benefits are. I think that that's going to be a big challenge as well is to um, look at what we might think are the benefits of working at camp and recognize is that a benefit? Is that really a benefit to today's age, kind of general age of camp staff? Maybe it was back in the 80s, the 90s, maybe even the early 2000s. Is that still a benefit today? Or is that more of a benefit to us? You know, sometimes room and board is a benefit to the employee. Sometimes it's more a benefit to the employer. Um, and that potential employees, for example, I mean, they're seeing through that, right? They're, they're like, that's not really what I need. I need this kind of benefit. So really changing up kind of our whole framework of thinking and that is really hard to do because you could get really bogged down and slowed down working through all of those those little nitty gritty problems. And then that and in a camp it in the camp profession where right we end camp and you we already see it online. People are like, okay, getting ready to start recruiting for next season. Like there's not, I wish that we could sometimes just pause the world, right? Where we could just it, wouldn't it be great if we could just be like, we're going to just put put time on pause and we're going to solve this really big problem in camp and then unpause it and then go about our staff recruiting year. <laughs> like yeah. that would be the idea, but we don't have that. So that's that kind of goes back to the same mindset of DEI work, right? Is it where we just have to chip away when we see things in ways that we can rethink how we pay people or provide benefits or think about that kind of aspect of camp staffing, we do what we can along the way um, that we don't have to wait for the end to solve the problem. We can start solving it in bits. 
Yeah. I, tell me if you feel this way, but I feel like it accelerates slightly too with that chipping. Yeah. Um, so the first cycle of change took longer than the second cycle. You know, maybe it gets a little bit shorter each time it, it goes around. But let's expand a little bit on that benefits idea, because um, I think you're you're very insightful on this one. You know, camps feel like they're doing this great thing for the staff of you get to stay all night in a cabin with children. But they're sort of getting around the clock care for the kids with, you know, quote unquote, lodging thrown in, unless they've got their like, if they're separate, separate staff lodging or something. But I think most of them are, are, you know, in cabins with children. What are some of the other like quasi benefits that we have to kind of think about? Because this, this generation of workers may not see it the same way as, as such a positive thing. Um, food is another one that it's often like we're, you know, you're going to be fed the whole summer. Um, and there are some camps that will stock a fridge on weekends. And there are some camps where, you know, when they say food's included, it's when campers are there. The staff still have to figure out how they're going to feed themselves the rest of the time. They don't get to pick what kind of food they're eating. Like you said, with, with the overnight accommodations, if they're expected to be sitting at the table with the campers and it's facilitating the meal, that's not a break. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it, exactly what you said, today's generation will not see that as a benefit in the same way that maybe past generations of some of us did. Yeah. I think that, you know, the being outdoors, uh, that is often seen as a benefit and promoted like, oh, you get to be outdoors and have access to the lake and the trails and the mountain bikes. And, you know, if you're thinking of a traditional, and in these cases, these benefits are, are usually associated with overnight camps, not yeah. less so with day, but it's like, well, do they get time to do that? You know, I've had, I've heard of camp professionals share how their camp staff, you know, push back on that because if they don't really get the time off to utilize those, you know, extra perks of maybe being able to go mountain bike riding because they don't get the time off, that's not a perk. That's yeah. not a benefit. So if we are going to put down certain things, our benefits, then we need to make sure we really give them access. And, and that I think oftentimes we think of our camp staff in this totally different bucket of like benefits and follow through of benefits and pay that we do, per, you know, professional, maybe year round salary folks. And I think about, you know, time off is a great example of like, you know, in most of our camp professionals are accruing some sort of time off that they can use during the year. And if we said as employers, if I said to my staff or staff that accrue time off, like you, can, you don't actually get to use it. They're going to be like, that's not a benefit then. Like if I don't get to use it. And so we need to kind of do some more digging into that. What's a benefit? What's not a benefit? And how do we make sure they have access to what we're seeing our benefits? Yeah, I agree. I agree. And that that notion that you've got uh, room and board for the summer. Well, for some people, they may still be paying their rent. You know, maybe there isn't, you know, dorm life camp, then dorm life again. Maybe there's an apartment that uh, still needs to be paid for through the summer. Are you and if you're if you're lowering the wage because they get a place to sleep for the summer, you know, is that going to make it harder for them to maintain that other address? Exactly. And we know that. We know that in universities, uh, students are opting for off-campus housing and the way that leases work are year-round. They're not 
they're not just the start of school to the end of school and you're off the hook, which is just another thing that we have to consider is that the experience of a college student today is very different as well. Uh, the expectation, the, the costs, and how they're moving through their college experiences is different. Yeah, and that, and that will impact over, their summer. And especially over these last two years, where are they in the dorms at all? Or are they in the dorms, but they're locked in the dorms? <laughs> and, you know, yeah. And unfortunately, I don't think COVID is really going away very soon. So it's going to continue to kind of have an effect on college life. And the downstream bit of that is have an effect on camp life, you know, if, if we're thinking of a lot of staff as also college aged. Um, and then another interesting thing is how many camps have been sort of reliant on J-1 visa workers? And that was, was kind of denied them over this last couple cycles how does that impact this notion of equitable pay? Because is there a group that we're telling, you know, you're lucky to be in the United States. And at the end of the season, Scottish person, you can go visit all these interesting national parks that we have and things like that. So are we treating that group of people equitably? Do we kind of pipeline them right into housekeeping and the kitchen staff and things like that? So do you have... Do you have sort of a point of view on, on that? Yeah, I you know, I think that the um, the J-1 visa and camp staff coming in from other countries is a wonderful, special part of the, of the American summer camp experience. And that it's wonderful that kids have access to seeing um, people from other countries and in such close ways as your camp counselor or whatnot. We do have to look at, and, and COVID was a great example of, of how prepared are we for that program to not function the way that we need it to. If we rely on especially certain positions such as kitchen, housekeeping, why are we relying on that? Is it because we can't find American staff and, and why can't we find American staff to do it? Um, is it about pay? Is it about access to the benefits? Is it about location? Is it about the type of work? And um, it's important. And, and again, this goes back to what I think is really cool about every generation that just keeps coming down the pipeline is that every generation is becoming more and more aware of, of a people first approach. And your American staff will see if you're not treating your international staff equitably as well. And that, you know, they're, they're going to, they're going to call you on it. Um, and vice versa. And that's, that is a, a fair thing for them to do. So you, you do have to look at how you're treating all your staff, J1, American, domestic, doesn't matter. You know, are you being as fair as possible? And I, I think our reliance on J1, we've really got to kind of be thoughtful about because I think that was a real surprise to a lot of people. I think that that represents a healthy portion uh, percentage of their, their staff. And without that, there was a bit of a scramble to fill those positions. So do, do you mainly work with nonprofits or are there also uh, for-profit camps that are a part of ACA Illinois? We have for-profit camps, yeah. yeah. Are, you, are you seeing any distinction in for-profit versus nonprofit approaches to this idea of raising wages? 
I think what's so tricky about that is that it's not a, an apples to apples uh, because in the for-profit world, you have, you kind of get to make the decisions a bit differently and based off of different parameters. But when you own a camp, you have the ability to, to make decisions a bit more swiftly and quickly than say a nonprofit agency that maybe the camp is one program. A lot of our nonprofits, the, the camp is one program of the larger nonprofit, which means they are dealing with several layers above them before they even get to the board of directors potentially to really change how the money is moved around. Um, on the other side, with uh, a for-profit camp, is doesn't necessarily have the same backup of support of a nonprofit might have, where um, there is other programs to help subsidize the camp program. So, the, and that's a lot of nonprofit camps are subsidized by other programs in the agency or other funding sources. So. Maybe their fees don't have to be the exact cost of camp. So I think both are are being challenged by staff in the same way because whether or not there's funding to cover the true cost of camp for a nonprofit, they have to go out and find enough funding to cover that. Or a for-profit situation, if you're going to have it at the actual cost of camp, it's it's extremely high. Right. And or is that out of the price point? But I, I think another kind of interesting difference is when we look at day camps, what I heard about in several agencies that ran day and overnight camps, where they had a really hard time finding overnight camp staff because the pay is set up differently than the day. So for example, in Chicago, if you're part of a large agency, the minimum wage is, you know, $15 an hour now. And so if they were hiring day camp staff at $15 an hour and the day camp program was 40 hours for the week, they got their $15 an hour, they worked 40 hours. They, as you mentioned, they could have side hustles or go hang out on patios and go to the beach and all that on their time off. But at the same time, the same agencies are trying to hire residential camp staff for the resident camp at lesser than the $15 because it's spread out over more hours and you're sleeping in the cabin with the kids, you're eating with the kids, you get less time off. And that it becomes when you look at both of those things happening and you're hiring for both, one sounds much more lucrative and exciting than the other just based on the work expectation. And I think that's where we're seeing a huge generational change in that both day and overnight camps have great uh, great benefits. They do really great work and are equally sometimes just as exciting to that applicant. And then they look at which one seems a little bit better for their situation. Maybe they need to make more money. Maybe they need more time off. Maybe they don't want to be around or away. So it's a really, it's really tricky. Um, and I would, I'd encourage folks to lean in and look at how other types of camps, like if you're an overnight camp, how are day camps doing it and vice versa. Sometimes I find that it can become very siloed of like, this is what day camps do, this is what overnight camps do, but both have really great ways that they handle staffing that the other could learn from and adapt. And, but then also look at it through a lens of like, of curiosity, how are they doing that? But not assuming that that's exactly how you have to do it either, that you can still customize it to what you need it to be. Yeah, yeah. And I think at least from the resident perspective, if there's this openness to this notion that, well, I'm really asking you to work through that meal break and I'm really asking you 
to work through the night because you're probably problem solving with you know bathroom issues or homesickness or kids not getting along or something like you know you're you're probably an on-call person through the night for that the other thing you know and i've always looked at getting up to the camp in the mountains at the lake and things as a, a benefit but at my counselor age when i was counselor age we didn't have cell phones we didn't have almost a uh, it's it's another it's another limb the cell phone you know and and i get it when camps say you need to shut your phone off and focus on you know the in person stuff that's great when you're not addicted to something and i mean that in the nicest way i think we're just so used to the constant connectivity and information stream and um, waiting will never be the same again there's always a music you know, there's music to listen to or a game to play or, you know, you can keep up on your emails or whatever. We didn't have that challenge. And we're asking people to put that away for huge chunks of the day or for the whole time if the thing, if where you're going doesn't connect to, you know, Wi-Fi or something. And we're also asking them to disconnect from their family and friends and reform a, a tight circle at this camp. Like that's a big ask of someone is to say, put all of your, your support network on hold, trust us. You're going to find one of this new place, you know, jump on it. They're going to love you. You're going to love them. You know, that's a big ask for people to, to go so far from quote unquote civilization. That's a great point. That is a big ask. I would then wonder if, if we asked that of ourselves, would, are we, you know, or a camp professional or camp director, are they completely disconnected from family? Um, I'm rem reminded of when a previous supervisor, when I was a camp director, when they were, we were trying to decide whether or not to sell pop in the camp store. And I had come from this tradition of like, there were no food or snacks or things like that in our camp stores at the other camps I worked at. So I was like, this is crazy. Why would we promote this? And, um, I, you know, it was just, but, but what she said to me was like, well, are you, would, would you go all, all summer without a can of pop? And I'm like, well, no, I've got pop in the staff fridge. <laughs> right. And she's like, well, yeah. So like, why don't we extend that same, you know, need to kids? Like some kids have access, you know, or drink pop and, and they need that, you know, or they find joy in it or they need the caffeine or whatnot. And I mean, whole health issues aside, but the, you know, the idea of like, are we asking of our camp staff in this scenario that you're talking about to do something that are we doing that as managers right. to be completely disconnect? And, and that's again, where it's like, so is there an opportunity to rethink maybe how we function our camp staffs or how their time off looks or how, how do we help them have more access to their families and to their support systems? Because that is what's going to keep them at the top of their game as camp staff, right? All those things we talked about earlier that we expect our camp staff to do, if we're pulling out their support system, we're taking away some vital mental, emotional support that they need in order to do their job really well. And ultimately, you know, the kids will benefit from us helping to make sure that those needs are met. And I, I think that goes to your moment of pause notion of like, hold on, just 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 slam on the brakes for a second. And let's try and look at this from some new perspectives. Your empathy points, you know, are excellent. 
let's try and really see this experience from their point of view. What do they need? What changes do we need to make for that? Um, someone, when you mentioned Camp Store, triggered a, another thought. The, the Camp Store has these hair care products, but do they have the right hair care products for staff members and participants from every culture? Because some hair is different than others and it needs different stuff. You know, are we, are we thinking on that level of, you know, what do I need to feel comfortable here if I go in and every every item on this shelf is made for, I'll say, Caucasian participants mm-hmm. and staff people, am I going to feel included? Am I going to feel honored and uh, welcomed and things like that? So really kind of expanding how we're thinking about the staff experience. Now is the time. This is a good time to do it because yeah. you know, we just got through that last summer. You know, let's start from scratch on a couple of these things. So with that in mind, um, and this amazing mission and that sort of thing, where do you see the future of camp? Where do you where do you see as we get better at social justice and as we get better at equity, what's what's your kind of your future? I envision and I and I see it as is a possibility if we keep doing this important work. I see that camp is truly a part of the global justice movement as part of of the overall work to racial justice, gender justice, um, sexuality, all economic justice, all of the different needs that need to be met, mental health. I think we're we're doing really well addressing mental health needs of our campers and our camp staff. We talk a lot about that in camp, that we can then become part of the bigger solution. Because if we see, if we think about that our camp, our campers today get these really valuable experiences. And then they become adults and then they be, they go out into the world and become thought leaders and they become influential and they become the decision makers. And it just ripples, ripples, you know, through it. And I, I think the camp has the potential to really be being, you know, in a hundred years from now as a pivotal part of, of real substantial change in the world, because we're building these kind of, um, you know, sub communities of what we hope to see in the world that are based on equity and justice and putting people first. And then hopefully they go out and they, they do that. We're modeling to other communities what is possible. I agree. I agree. And, uh, and we get these change makers as well as people who are really good at water skiing, but you know, <laughs> that, they, that they really want to be change makers. Are there any resources that you might suggest to people who are listening and think, oh, this is really great. You know, I'd like to, to think more on this or, or read more on this. What what kind of inspires you in other podcasts or authors or things like that? One area that I actually turn to quite a bit is the Harvard Business Review. I think that they have a really good pulse on the workplace in general, and they're they have a really good pulse on um, what trends are looking like. And they're, they're rather bold about what they say. Like, they're not afraid to be like, this is, this is the situation and here's the details. And then they move along to the next topic, you know, in diversity and equity inclusion, um, continuing to listen to voices from communities that you're hoping to include and leaning on, on them. 
um, to, to tell you what they need, to not assume that you know what they need. And so if you're looking at gender inclusion, you know, looking at folks like transplaining to hear straight from folks that specialize in transgender and gender non-binary campers and for the expertise that that's we've got to be more of that we've got to lean into that um, but also not expect everybody to do the work for us especially uh, if you're part of a dominant group to not expect that they'll solve all the problems for you that you know you, you have to do all of the work but lean on them and ask them questions and, and there are there are resources everywhere I think that's a really cool part of the internet right now, of course, you have to vet the resources and make sure that they're they're good um, and that they're just and not undoing important work that you're hoping to do. But there are resources everywhere. There is not a reason today why we can't have more equitable and just organizations. And I'm sure you'd be open to continuing the conversation with people. How's, what's the best way that people can connect with you? If you go to acail.org, my email is there, my phone number, you can go ahead and reach out. Um, I'm on Facebook um, and LinkedIn. And I encourage you, I, I would welcome any sort of uh, conversation and, and also to be a resource and support to anybody that needs it. Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you for your, your wisdom and your leadership and your insight. I sincerely appreciate the time that you've taken. And I, I hope that we can figure out a way to live our missions through uh, more equitable employment practices. I think that is really in alignment with with the overarching goals of camp and just some area that hasn't received as much attention, I think, as you know, other things that we've gotten really good at. Well, again, thank you very much. So uh, please follow us at ACA Camps on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. CampWire is available on Spotify and iTunes. And Colette, what a pleasure to hang out with you and talk uh, today. Uh, it's been such a joy, and I look forward to seeing you at our next in-person opportunity where we get to hang out in person. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks for having me. It was great to hang out with you, too, and I look forward to the day we can all be in person. Okay, take care. All right, bye-bye.